but good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Um, Charles Spurgeon opened one of his sermons uh, at his new Park Street Chapel with the following words. It has been said by some that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Nothing will, enlar- will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Spurgeon then goes on to say, Plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. And I love Spurgeon. Wow. You know, but that is why we have been spending so much time on the first 18 verses in John in what's called the prologue, right? Because the first 18 verses of John, the apostle has given us a glimpse into this glorious Godhead. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the light and the life, becoming human and living among us. God calling and adopting us as children of God, lavishing upon us grace upon grace upon grace. But now we're moving on, and we're going to look at John the Baptist, what it means to be a witness. So let's read our text this morning, and then we're going to jump into what a witness is, uh, the three characteristics of John the Baptist's witness, and then some implications for all of us. So let's read. We're going to start, though, John 1, 6 through 8. So verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. But now we're going to jump to John 1.19 and read all the way through 34. So starting at verse 19, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. 
Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from, a, from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So just to help us keep focused a little bit this morning, we read the verses in John 1, 6-8, and that's basically the outline of what a witness is. Whereas John 1, 19-34 kind of explains the different points of the outline as John interacts with the Pharisees and the Levites and those sent from, from the Jews. So that's how we're going to progress this morning, I think. We're going to actually use John 1, 6-8 as our outline and show how what John does in the latter part of the scripture actually follows the outline, right? So we're going to follow. So the first part of it, what does John do? He is not the light. John says, I am not the Christ, number one. Number two, he says, but I came to bear witness about the light. So John is a witness and points people to the light. But then third, the purpose, why do you do all these things? So that others may believe. So there's your outline right there. But first, though, let's talk about the question. So we're talking about being a witness, right? What's, you know, what's a witness? What is a witness? If we're talking about being a witness, I think we all need to, you know, we all need to figure out, well, what is this that we're talking about? So in legal matters, a witness is just an individual who has relative, uh, relevant knowledge of a case, right? Witnesses are essential in establishing any claim to fact. When the news wants to report a notable event, it interviews, what? Eyewitnesses, right? We accept the testimony of credible witnesses in court, uh, especially when a number of them agree. Lawyers bring into court two, three, four, five, six, seven witnesses. They all tell the same story, maybe different sides of the story, but certainly all tell the same, same story. And they're credible witnesses in establishing the fact of what the defendant did or did not do. And then we're sort of morally bound to accept that as true, right? When three or four or five people say, yes, he did it. Yes, he did it. Yes, he did it. Yes, he did it. It's almost as if we're morally bound to accept those witnesses and their testimony as true. So this is exactly what we find in the Gospel of John, right? John presents us with witnesses to Christ Morally demanding that we believe. We believe in the Christ, the Son of God, and what he's done for us. So a witness, so what does a witness do? A witness, is, a witness establishes the truth. Testimony is a serious matter and the means of substantiating the truth of a matter. Right? The testimony in court is so serious 
that if you lie in court or lie about your testimony, it's called what? Perjury. And then you're liable for punishment and you're considered a criminal. The apostle wants his readers to liable and he is insistent that there is good evidence for the things that he writes and puts in his gospel. He's like, people, look, I am writing this because why? I want you to believe. And why? Because I am a witness. I saw these things happen. I was with Jesus when it happened. And I'm writing it down. I believe. I'm writing it down now so that you will believe. But a witness is also committed. I mean, think about it. If I swear an oath on the witness stand and testify about something experienced is the truth, then I'm no longer neutral. I'm taking a stand. I have is the truth, right? So when a witness testifies to the event, then it's the truth, right? We're no longer neutral or unbiased. I mean, I have my stand witness. John the Baptist commits himself to. He says, I have seen and I have heard. And there is no wishy-washy in the Gospel of John. <laughs> so I love Line and this is in your notes. A guy, uh, uh, Arthur Pink. I love it. This is just a simple, simple definition. A witness is one who knows what he says and says what he knows. He does not deal with speculations. He speaks not of his own opinions, but he testifies to what he knows to be the truth. And that's what a witness is. Go back and read John one six through eight again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Right? So this is our outline this morning. I think I told you I'm going to go over it again. A, John the Baptist was not the light. He said, you know, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. He said, I am just one crying out, make way the paths of the Lord. Right? So he was sent to bear witness, and then his testimony's purpose was that all men may believe in Christ. All right, the first key aspect of this was that he was not the light, right? And this key part of John's witness is explained further in 19 through 21. Remember we read this, the testimony of John. Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. He left it, I mean, there was, he told them no in no uncertain terms. I am not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. So like John, though, we as a believer must recognize in the depths of our being that we are not the answer to other people's problems. <laughs> so much, we want to be the answer to everybody's problems, Right? But we are not the light. We are not the light. We must recognize that we have no importance really in ourselves and in our own testimony. John the Baptist reminds us that he was not the light. This teaches us, among other things, really that a Christian will never be an effective witness if he is placing either himself or his own needs first 
in his thinking. Right? Our own needs are important. They do possess some degree of importance. But, you know, we will never be able to focus on the needs of others if we're so focused on our own needs. We can't focus on the needs of others if our own needs always take center stage. And, I mean, in fact, look, I mean, as Christians, there's a sense in which our own needs are already met, right? Paul wrote in Philippians, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So our needs are already met in Christ. We have little to testify of it if we don't see that clearly. If we don't see Christ is already taking care of our needs, then what do we tell other people? What do we tell others? I mean, we can't really show love to the other person, which is the essence of witnessing, if we're not placing their own needs above ours. All right, so we are not the light. This is just the first principle. But we really haven't started to witness yet, right? We just say, look, I'm not the light. I am not the answer to everybody's problems. But we must know that Jesus is the light, right? Jesus is the light and point people to him. So while we we recognize we are not the answer to everybody's problems, we know who is, right? We know who is. So if we are to be a witness for Jesus Christ, we must first of all forget ourselves. We need to forget our likes, our dislikes, our needs, our personal interests, our free time, even at times our work or our ambitions, right? We must first think of the other person and of their need for a Savior. What is it that will make a person forget himself in order to point to Jesus? Only an awareness of Jesus' worth and glory. That is the significance of the gospel right there. So look at how John the Baptist points people to Jesus. John 1, and 23. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out into the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And then in the last verse, our text, John says what? I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's your witness right there. I have seen and I have borne witness. So have you guys ever heard of Penn and Teller? Penn and Teller... They are headliners in Las Vegas, right? I think they're a comedy team, but I think they do magic tricks and they do all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, Their shows are, I mean, shock appeal, a lot of language, things like that. But Penn Gillette used no coarse language in telling us about an audience member who gave him a New Testament after one of his shows. Gillette says he doesn't respect people who don't evangelize. Now, Penn Jillette is an atheist. I mean, a diehard atheist, right? But he said he doesn't respect people who don't evangelize. Here's what he said. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think that people shouldn't proselytize 
Just leave me alone. Keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, he said. Remember, this is coming from Penn Gillette, who's an atheist. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, he said. And this is more important than that. Now, let's just let that soak in for a minute. Okay, this is an atheist, a diehard atheist, admonishing Christians for not evangelizing. I completely agree with his logic. I mean, if we really do believe that the message of Jesus and Christianity is true, and not just true for me, but true for all time, then can we afford to play games with people? Paul writes in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, I've got to ask, are we ashamed of the gospel? I mean, I'm preaching in, in the mirror right now. Okay, I'm preaching in the mirror right now. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the gospel? I mean, it's a tough question, right? But it needs to be asked. I mean, if we as Christians truly believe, are truly convinced as true that people will be forever banished to an eternity of fiery death and judgment, or have an eternal life of forgiveness and peace, then how can we not tell people? Are we ashamed? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself the same question. So many people are afraid to say anything to anyone because they're worried they might offend somebody. Especially nowadays. Oh, I don't know. I just don't want to offend somebody. Offend somebody? If the truck was bearing down on you or on your neighbor... Would you worry about offending them or go tackle them? <laughs> I mean, if I knew as a doctor, perhaps, somebody had cancer, and I didn't really want to offend them because I know it's just going to make them upset if I told them they had cancer. So I just beat around the bush and didn't really tell them at all. Is that loving? You know, I think we have, we... And everyone else has become so sensitive that I think perhaps we've elevated offending someone to God's status. Oh, I don't want to offend somebody. You know, heaven forbid. Friends, our time on this planet is but a blip in view of all eternity. Just a blip, a wink, a wink of an eye. And what we do with our lives here is important, but it's just a blink of an eye compared to eternity. So if we are more worried about pleasing the sensitivity God and not offending anyone at any time and consequently not letting our neighbor know about their dire situation and their need for forgiveness, I mean, friends, is this not... I'm going to use Penn Gillette's words. Is this not hatred? 
We are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I would argue that telling someone about Jesus Christ is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Not telling someone about Christ, not showing them the way, I would argue is not loving your neighbor (laughs) as yourself. Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. So then what do we need to know in order to be able to tell others that Jesus is the light and point people to him? I think we need to know the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel, and I think we need to know basically who Jesus is and what he's done. Who Jesus is and what he's done. So who Jesus is, who Jesus Christ is. Remember we talked about Orthodox Christianity. we got to define Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus until you start defining him. Jesus is the Word, God. He is God and he is with God. He became human and lived among us. He is the life and gives life to those who are spiritually dead. We have to begin with Christ's claims about himself. If we don't know who Jesus really is then our message is just empty words. I mean, we're not preaching anybody other than the same people that the Mormons and the Muslims and everybody else is preaching, right? Just empty words. Our words will have no power to help anybody unless we define Jesus and we know who he truly is. God incarnate. God who became human. Right? The Christ, the Jesus in Islam, Buddhism, and Mormonism has no power. But Jesus Christ has power and has demonstrated it on the cross and by rising from the dead, right? Our God has the power to forgive sins and restore people who have a severed relationship with God. Now, along those same lines, we have to know what Jesus Christ has done. And I mean, if Jesus is God, though, I mean, this is like huge. You know, what has Jesus Christ done? What's God done? He's done everything. But let's like narrow it down a little bit. Let's narrow it down. And that is, what has he done on the cross? So we want to share the meaning of his death and resurrection when we tell others about him. As a Christian, it is our privilege to tell others how sin and its consequences are removed through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that the one who believes in Jesus Christ then is given a new life, peace, joy, freedom, and access to God. Forgiveness of sin. The penalty of rebellion against God has been paid Not by us, but by Jesus Christ. Our severed relationship with God has been restored, and now we are adopted as sons. So remember, in in witnessing, we must be clear that we are not the solution. We're not the answer to everybody's problems. We must point people to the solution and focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, so finally, right? John the Baptist was not the light. John the Baptist pointed people to the light. And then thirdly, a witness must do all of this with the express intention of having men and women believe in the person and work of Christ.
Being a witness is not an end to itself. The whole purpose of John's gospel and John the Baptist's testimonies, even our own testimony, is to be used by God to bring people to faith in the person and work of Christ. So many people like to hear our own testimonies, right? And we can help people see what Christ has done for us. But again, we must be careful that our own testimony doesn't become the focus. And that Christ is the answer that worked for us. Well, you know, I mean, we talked about this last week, right? The gospel is not just one answer among many in the world. It is the answer. It is the answer. So we must avoid at all costs witnessing witnessing to a person, you know, and having the work of Christ be sort of like one solution among many. Well, look, it worked for me. It could work for you too. No. Right? I mean, it may work for you. It worked for me. It may or may not work for you. No. Jesus is the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. The gospel is not a solution that is merely practical or helpful, right? It is one that is necessary for all human beings in order to be set right before a just and holy God. So now, while keeping the focus on on God and Jesus Christ, though, our personal testimony can very well help other people see and bridge the gap between what Jesus Christ did on the cross and what he does personally in the lives of sinners, right? It can be used by the Spirit to open the eyes of someone, right? But our goal must be in our testimony and our witnessing that people believe in Christ, that people don't believe in us. People believe in Christ. All right.